This is Our Voices on the Yard. Welcome to Our Voices on the Yard, where Black artistic excellence meets everyday life. I'm your host, Denise Woods, and I'm going to take you from the Black church to the bright lights of Broadway, from tiny music studios to the mega stages of international opera houses, from rustic dance studios to ornate vaudeville theaters. Join me as we explore and celebrate the achievements of the Black artists that attended conservatories and fine arts programs around the world, starting with my very own, the Juilliard School. This is Our Voices on the Yard. Welcome back to part two of this extraordinary interview with Richard Alston, pianist extraordinaire. He's vulnerable, he's open, he's passionate, he's smart, he's woke. I think you'll enjoy this part. So if you haven't tuned into the first part, I think you need to tune into the first part and then come back and grab this one because Richard has a lot to say. Enjoy. If you could go back and tell your younger self something, knowing what you know now, what would, <laughs> would you tell your younger self, the younger artist? That was the younger artist who was very shy, who was called a sissy, who spent hours practicing during the day when kids were out. I, I have to be honest with you, from what people tell me, I wasn't shy. Okay. okay. But you know something? You you ask a question that I've heard many people ask other people. And the thing is this, I'm a very emotional guy, okay? Yes. The answer to that question is people had already said it to me. All the things that I would say to that young guy, yes. people were saying to me already when I was with that young guy. Yes, I see. I heard it already. And you listen. They were saying it to me. But you listen. Oh, oh. Well, the reason why I say oh like that yes. was because when the audition for Sylvia Ravenel was over. Yes. After those three hours, she told my father, take him to Padelson's music store. He needs to get this music. We got in the elevator. My mother, my father, Ovid Lewis, who arranged the audition. My father was red as a beat. <laughs> over over Lewis looked down at me and he said this is a great wonderful experience you're about to undertake if she tells you to eat you eat it <laughs> now, now I was scared my parents never cursed and they didn't say it but they were there and I thought my father was going to give me a beating even though I didn't say it <laughs> But I remember, and so you say, listen, I dared. The only time I didn't listen was the white peacock. <laughs> that was the only, the only time. Okay. So, so if that's the only time, what, what did you have against this? Not the music, because you didn't play it, so you didn't know. What, what did you have against the command to learn the white peacock? What, what, what I had against it was the actual writing. I was playing Beethoven sonatas. I was playing Box Payton Fugues. I was playing Mozart sonatas, right? Yeah. This, just the first measure. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> what is that? 
no youtube right okay later i did collect records that was my that was my saving grace between 12 years old and 18 years old i would go to the library and rent records wow. not rent them take them out mm -hmm. the library performing arts at lincoln center borrow. we would borrow from the library borrow. that's the word borrow. that's, that's the word. word borrow, borrow. Mm -hmm. after my lessons i would go to the library of lincoln center and rent and, and not borrow borrow records and so there was there was nothing for me to grasp onto. Yeah. There was, I mean, it was it was strange. It was strange. And but it was it was lesson not in just the composer, but Mrs. Ravenel also taught me something very special to listen to what was coming out of the piano. Now, that may sound strange because I wasn't deaf and I looked at her. But she said, are you making the sounds that should be made? Is your piano soft? Is it really soft? Mm. Okay. Are you singing the melody? Mm. Meaning, mm -hmm. are you bringing the melody out? Mm. So all of this in the white peacock. And then I had to go to the zoo. After yes. I learned all the notes. Yes. It still wasn't convincing. Because she told me in the music, like three pages in, this is when the peacock is now, the male peacock is showing his feathers. And the other thing was, she later gave me a postcard with the picture of a white peacock. See, Because that was the other thing. Mm -hmm. It was a special peacock. Mm -hmm. It was white. Mm -hmm. And that's the title of the piece. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, all of, all of this was going on. All of this... I, I, I want to go back to something you said very early on. Those two notes, when you played those two notes together and you said something just came over you. Can you describe that? Of, of, of I can describe it because it still happens to me. Yes, that's um, what you're getting to because I'm sure it does. When I play, when I do my videos, yes, I develop, I develop a, a, a term called piano canto. There's bel canto, mm -hmm. which the singers, as you know, yes. the, the style of music. Piano canto is when every note must match. That when you, oh, when you have a melody and the melody ascends, mm -hmm. if a singer sings those five notes, they may not make a crescendo, but each note is going to be a little stronger than the previous one. And then there's a term in vocal music, as you know, called matching tones. Sure. So that when you play a melody, if I play, for example, mm. that you have to shape the melody. Yes. And that the melody should be above the accompanying chords. It's not the easiest thing to do. I didn't play. I didn't do that. I did. Mm -hmm. 
when you have a, a word that has, has two syllables, one syllable is stressed, as you know, I'm preaching to the choir, but you see, this is what I have when I do a master class, I teach this, that if you have a, a word, sometimes, sometimes, the first syllable, okay, is a little stronger than the second. That's right. And when singers sing that, those, that, that word, they, if they say, sometimes, sometimes I feel, the first syllable is going to get a little more. It's not sometimes, it's sometimes. As pianists, we should make the piano sing mm-hmm. like a singer. Mm, absolutely. We should do the word she taught me, inflection. At the piano, we must inflect the notes as a singer would. How much of your Africanness do you bring to your work as an artist? (laughs) I'm smiling because, first of all, I'm an African-American, all right? And just as I said to you, this whole musical thing is in my blood. That's in my blood, too. Now, what I do do is I recognize it when it's in the music. There's, ah. a, there's a composition I play called Troubled Water. And it's a wonderful piece. And Margaret Bonds wrote it. At one point in the you piece, acknowledged. I do. I I read in your bio, which we will, which our, our audience already knows, uh, that you were acknowledged by the alumni association for this piece. <laughs> I have to clap and thank God for that. That was one of the greatest honors I have ever received. Yes. To to and and, and the thing about it is. The, the, the video they selected was by Margaret Bonds. It was the Troubled Waters. Yes. So to, to have it acknowledged, uh, a Black man playing a composition by a Black woman yes. being acknowledged as alumni of, of, of my school. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I, I'll calm down. I'll calm down. <laughs> but, but, but to answer your question, when I was first introduced to the piece, I heard another pianist play it. And I knew right away I had to play it. And the reason I had to play it was because as brilliantly as she played it, I felt that there was something other than what she did that I had to find out. Yes. And what it was was this. It's based upon the spiritual, wait in the water, right? I knew that that was sung at my church for baptism. Yes, me too. I later found out that it was also a coded spiritual absolutely that when slaves heard it that if they were going to seek freedom at some point they had to get into the water because the dogs would be chasing them right but if they got into the water they would lose the scent my conclusion was this margaret bond called it troubled water this is my conclusion that she could have called it wade in the water transcription i feel this that when that slave got into the water, as calm as the water was prior to getting in, it was no longer calm once they got in. All the pain, all the agony, all the misery 
got into that water with them. And at that point, the water was troubled. Mm. That's why I feel it's called troubled water. And that's mm. my feeling. That's right. And at one point, you asked a question about the African connection. Yes. And there's one piece, there's one section where it builds up and there's a, a, a measure of silence. And then you hear this. To me, that's the African drums. Mm. That's mm. the African drums. Mm. That's the, the, the drums from the homeland. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. like I said, it, it's the music. Sometimes there are selections where you have a strong Africanism. I'll put it that way. Mm -hmm. And other music where you may not. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. But I always look beyond the black and white on the page. Gotcha. I always look beyond those, those notes. Yes. And I teach my students this. When I do a master class, I did a master class where I had a very, very talented Asian woman, young woman, play for me. And she was a student at Juilliard, but the, the master class wasn't at Juilliard. It was actually sponsored by the National Association of Negro Musicians. Mm -hmm. She played for me a composition by a Russian composer, and it had several sections but the first section was very sad and she played it very beautifully. But then I said to her, what are you thinking about when you play this? And she <laughs> said, the notes. And I said, okay, all right. You know what this music means. The title means, right? She said, yes. And she said what it meant. I said, well, let me ask you something. Before you came to the Juilliard school, where did you come from? I think she was Korean. And I said, so you left your homeland to come here. What was that like? How did your family feel about you coming here? She said, they were very sad. They were very unhappy. How did you feel, I answered. She said, well, I was happy I was going to Julia, but I was very sad. I said, well, can you put that into the music? Do you remember your mother's face the last time you saw her before you left? I said, close your eyes, play that opening, and see your mother's face. Mm. And she did it, and everybody applauded that was attending the master class. <laughs> My conclusion is teachers don't do this enough. One of the things I'm going to tell you something, and I know we're probably getting closer to end. I don't know what's happening at Juilliard now, but I'm going to tell you something. There are not enough mentors in the college. You see, I retired. Okay. I don't know if I told you that. I yeah. retired. Yes, finally. But I, I mention it, I mention it because every student, when they came to the college, I sat down with them and I talked to them about what music meant to them, mm -hmm. what the next years were going to mean the next month as far as studying. Because mm -hmm. this is what was done to me and for me. Mm -hmm. and, and sometimes it has wonderful, wonderful results. It has had negative results. I spoke to a young man who came in and we talked about it. We talked about it. And then I never saw him again. Someone who knew me ran into him on the street. They knew him. They said, didn't you have a, a meeting with Professor Austin? And he said, oh, yes. They said, what happened? Oh, he takes music too seriously. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, 
know, and I've had students come into me and I say, okay, uh, what do you do? Oh, I'm a singer. I said, oh, okay, how long have you been singing? Oh, I'm, I love singing. I said, sing for me. What? You want me to sing for you? <laughs> I said, you're a singer. You said, I didn't say it. You said you're a singer. Well, I haven't prepared. I said, you don't have to prepare anything. Just sing. Right, you're a singer. Well, can I come back tomorrow or next week and sing? I said, just remember this. Until you sing for me, don't tell anybody you're a singer. <laughs> don't say to anyone you're a singer unless you're ready to sing. We talked. We we talked about Sylvia Robinoff. And, yes, and yes. There's one thing you can just sum it up. I just loved what she said about you know. <laughs> there, there's just let, so let many. Me, things. And let me say this. I think I mentioned earlier. She asked me that question. When I was 12 years old. And, and the thing about it, though, was when I was making the CD, she lived in Florida. And I would call her and play some of the music over the phone for her. But when the CD was completed, I gave her a copy. She wrote me. And the first thing she said was, Dear Richard, do you remember when you were 12 years old? I asked you, did you want to be a good piano player or a concert artist? You are a concert artist. Oh. I have that letter. Richard. I'm blessed. You. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for asking me, Denise. Thank you. Thank you. You received your bachelor's degree from Juilliard, the Juilliard School, and then you were later awarded the highly prestigious Maria Guerrera Judelson Scholarship in Piano to return for your master's degree. Now, yeah. this is huge because I know in the drama division, they weren't just handing out <laughs> based on merit. Yes. They, you know, they there were scholarships based on need, but it was based on mm -hmm. merit. That's what this was. And this is huge, my dear. And congratulations. I never knew this. In reading your bio, I was blown away by all of these tidbits of information because I went to Juilliard and I know how highly coveted and highly respected these things are. And sometimes, you know, we want to just sort of keep them hidden. But that's why the nature of this, our voices on the yard, at the yard, because that's what we call the Juilliard School. And let me say one more thing about Juilliard. Yes. You mentioned about standing on the shoulders, right? Yes. You might not consider standing on the shoulders, but my friends at Juilliard were actors, dancers, and singers. I stood on your shoulders. The reason you, the three of you, actors, are expressive emotionally. Yes. Because you have words and a storyline. Yes. Sometimes dancers have a story. You see, musicians, we only have really the black and white on the page. Mm. Sometimes there's a story behind the piece. But mm. you all had personality. Mm. That was the thing. I related to it. Mm -hmm. I related to it. These are people. And we had an emotional intelligence. That's what we were learning. We were wow, I like that. Emotional intelligence that we I were, never heard that before. Yes, that we were getting through words, through through punctuation, even, which you know, yes. you, you've got rests, you've got you've got 
you know, whole notes, half notes, and a dancer has dancing notation. They put that, that energy and that expression in their bodies. We have language that we were able yes. to put it and, and, and connect the emotion to. And so but there, that's the reason why you were drawn toward us. And yes. we were drawn toward you. <laughs> we were. You, you have drawn attention from the musical world, educators and college and university students, for bringing to light the great contributions of classical music by composers of African descent. You not only perform the exquisite works of these composers that remain to this day relatively unknown to the larger public, but you also delight audiences with your lectures and masterclasses on the colors of music. I love that. The colors of music, classically black composers of African descent. Can you tell me some of the composers that- Sure, like sure. The that? first is Chevalier de St. George, Joseph Boulange. I know, I know most. I know most people. Though, can you give me a little, just a little? Well, context? he lived during this. He lived during the classical period, the period that's commonly associated with Mozart. He lived during that time. He was also the director. He was a marvelous fencer, and but he was also the director of an opera company that later became the Paris Opera. Woo! So he <laughs> he is one a composer. Um, there is there is Margaret Bonds. Mm -hmm. There is Florence Price, whose works now are just coming to the forefront. R. Nathaniel Dead, who composed um, piano music, a lot of piano music and arranged spirituals. And one composer that wanted to be a classical pianist, but because he loved playing the piano and he wrote music from the time he was a teenager. At his high school, he wrote three musicals. Tell me who this composer was again, Richard, please. Billy Strayhorn. Billy Strayhorn was Duke Ellington's number one arranger. Yes. To the point where many compositions that Duke Ellington's band played, people thought that he wrote them. Billy, Stray Billy Strayhorn wrote Take the A-Train. Yes. Why did he write it? Because at, when, when, when Duke Ellington told him to come and meet with him for the first time, Billy Strayhorn said, how do I get there? And Duke Ellington said, take the A-train. He wrote this composition. He thought it was no good. He threw it in the trash. A relative pulled it out of the trash. I think you have something, they told him. And that became it. But he wanted to be a concert pianist. The piece, the false... It's spelled V-A-L-S-E. He mm. loved Chopin. Mm. He loved Chopin. And so when he was 15 and he wrote this, he was thinking of Chopin. Well, <laughs> I would love to appear as him. I stand on his shoulders. Yes. I yes. stand on his shoulders. Yes. There's, because there's, you see. There's there's more. Wait, there's 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 more. I just want to just continue because with all of your your wonderful full career and life not just your career I want to hear details so you know I I, I want to hear more about the Metropolitan Opera's revival of Porgy and Bess <laughs> in which you brought an unforgettable sense of well-researched now this is what I loved well-researched authenticity to the role of Jasbo Brown the man after whom we think the jazz genre is believed to be named. 
You repeat that portrayal of Jasper Brown in the historic production presented by the New Jersey State Opera at Symphony Hall in Newark, New Jersey. Jasper Brown, when Gershwin wrote the opera Porgy and Bess, yes, opera does not begin with summertime. The opera begins with the Jasbo Brown blues. That's true. That's how it begins. Can you can Many you play opera, more? Can you play? That more? was it. Many opera companies sometimes leave that out, but that's how it starts. Now, in the score, it says Jasbo Brown. It doesn't say Jasbo Brown blues pianist. It says his name, just like it says Bess and Crown. Okay, and yes. Porgy. Yes. And so the man who wrote the play or the Porgy, he also wrote, I guess you would call it a literature on this man, Jasbo Brown. Mm-hmm. So what happened was this. I was curious. I read that when he played, he played with so much excitement that people would scream, more jazz, more jazz. And so that is the idea possibly of one of the beginnings of the term. Now, what I did with that was there were dancers, when I saw the production of another pianist playing it, there were dancers all around the piano. And I thought, wait a minute, if he is playing with such charismatic force, Mm -hmm. he can't just sit there playing. And so I choreographed it. What do I mean? That some of the, uh, Carmen de Lavala, the great Carmen de Lavala, was brought in as the choreographer. And I called her and I said, could I please attend your rehearsals? I want to see what you're going to have the dancers do. And she said, sure. Outside the rehearsal hall. And I was playing it. And one of the dancers walked out. She said, oh, I can move to that, the way you're playing it. And so I said to her, I said, listen, I saw a rehearsal where I was just watching. At one point, you took the pianist derby off the pianist and were going around with it. I said, when I do it, leave my derby alone. Because what I had choreographed was that there was a couple of measures. I only played with one hand. Mm -hmm. I took the derby off with the other hand and I twirled it in the air while the other left hand was playing. And I did what was called the booty dance. While I was playing, because I couldn't just sit there and just and play and just play. So yeah. I had to get into it. Yes. I had to get into it. Richard, what year was this? I was in the production at the Metropolitan Opera House, I think 91 oh. it was. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And and I I it that was one of the greatest times of my life because I love opera. Mm-hmm. I fell in love with opera, excuse me, when I was about 15. Yes. And same here. I listened to the broadcast from QXR. Yeah. And so here I was in the Metropolitan Opera House. Uh, at one point I was walking to the to the stage and in a rehearsal room was Pavarotti rehearsing. Oh. One time I was leaving a performance and Domingo was going in as I was leaving. I mean, ah! Oh. I know. 
I know. I've been so blessed. I know. Because these are, that was something that most pianists will never experience. It's true. You know, being on stage like that. And so, and, so. And acting and dancing and having. Oh, the, yes. I had to. I had experience. to. Absolutely. I had to. I had to. Let's just go on. We just have, a, as a special guest artist with the New Jersey Symphony, you performed in a special concert in commemoration of the birth of William Grant Still. Can you let young folks know who that was? William Grant Still was the dean, or regarding the dean of African American composers. Yeah. He has written symphonies. One of his symphonies is called the African American Symphony, if I remember correctly. I play his work in my concert. I met his daughter, Judith Ann Still, and I met her at a lecture she was giving about her father. And I was so moved by the story she was telling. She told one story of how all of these great American composers were scheduled to take a picture and they were lining up to take the picture. And word had gotten out that they were going to stand in front of him so that he would not be seen in the picture. And what happened, a great composer, I don't know if it was Aaron Copeland, somebody grabbed him and made, made him stand next to him because they, they knew that, that they could not stand in front of, say, Aaron Copeland or another American composer. Mm-hmm. And that's how, and I was just moved. Yeah. I was just so moved by what she said. What's, it, what's, what's your favorite, if not favorite, what piece comes to mind that you could play? I play a piece called Summerland. I feel that I have the music. I, I will say to you and to your to our our people oh, who are listening to this that if they go to my YouTube channel, there is a video of me playing Summerland and most of these black composers. Absolutely. How do we find you, Richard? How do we find are you, is, it, is it richardalston.com? Yes, well, there's austinpianist.com. That's mm-hmm. my website. There are videos of me there. If you go to YouTube, actually. If you just go Google Richard Austin piano or Richard Austin pianist, the reason in Australia, there's a Richard Austin choreographer. Oh my, yes. You've got to put the pianist in there because I- And we met. Oh, nice. He he brought, listen, I always watch what's going on around. He brought his dance company to Montclair State University one year. Get out. I'm not kidding. He came to Montclair State University- and I bought a ticket, and before I got there early, and I went to the box office, and I said to them, I said, now I'm going to tell you something, but don't laugh, because I'm not, it's not a joke, it's true. My name is Richard Alston, <laughs> A-L-S-T-O-N, just like the gentleman who's, who's, I said, is he involved in a rehearsal right now? Because he knows of me. Because if, if he's seen my videos and I've seen his. Absolutely. And I said, they were shocked. They were looking at me like with disbelief. They said, just wait right here. Just wait right here. And I guess they told me, he brought his whole company out Richard. to meet the other Richard Austin. <laughs> and I'll send you the picture of us. He's like six fives. <laughs> and I'm only five four. <laughs> I have to send you the two Richard Austins. This is amazing. As a guest artist with the, you were a guest artist with the Harlem Chamber Music Players, the Harlem yes. Music Players. 
you performed two separate concerts. Yes, with them. I, I Wonderful. And I hope I can get back. And I love playing chamber music. Really? And on my YouTube channel, there are videos of me playing chamber music. Yes. This I is... love playing chamber music. What a... You see the pianist I admire, they did everything. Yes. I love working with singers. Yes. And I'll tell you something. Hmm. I, I, I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but I learned of this at Juilliard. There, there, is, there are compositions, 19th century compositions for piano and actor. They're called drama scenes or something like that. Yes. And the whole purpose of them is that they would have a pianist, they would play, play the piano part, and the actor would do these monologues. Yes, yes, yes. Very, very sort of staged and, you know, kind of archaic in their staging and their emotional. I never saw one. I never saw But the pianist wasn't playing an accompaniment. They were equal parties in oh, this. Why? Oh no, I don't. Then I don't know this one. I don't know this style. There's, there's, there's a famous one. I'll have to write you about an elephant. I can't think of the name of it for children. I'm not talking about the carnal animals. These actually have a script that is for the actor or the actress, or just the actor. We say now mm -hmm. to be politically correct. So one day, if I come to California or you come here, we have to go through one of these. This sounds wonderful. I would love to do it together. Maybe maybe as we retire, this will be our next No, stage. no, we don't retire. No, it's the next stage. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Retire from this stage to the next one. <laughs> transition. That's It's not retire, it's a transition. How about I only that? say that because so many people have said to me, well, now that you retired, are you going to take it easy? Is it musicians, actors, dancers, we don't retire. Don't. There is, I'm going to end with this because Carmen de Lavalad was the choreographer of A Porgy and Bess. Yes. And his, her husband was Jeffrey Holder. Of course. I read Jeffrey Holder's son was with him in his final moments. Jeffrey Holder was choreographing, his son said, on his deathbed. Mm. He was actually choreographing. Yeah. And yeah. I will say this. There was a great pianist who died on the stage of Carnegie Hall playing the Greek piano concerto. I want, Mrs. Ravenel said, that's going with your boots on. I <laughs> want to go with my boots on. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> Richard, this has been wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you thank for having you. me. Thank you for being so open and, and vulnerable and authentic and allowing us to stand on your shoulders. My pleasure. I stand on yours. Thank you, sweetheart. I don't mind talking you along with me. Come on, let's do this. <laughs> yes, yes, All yes, right, honey. yes. Bye-bye. Thank, Thank you. you again. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you. This was Our Voices on the Yard. Yes. Austin, Our Voices on the Yard. Yes. Class of yes. 79. Yes. Bye, Richard. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. I hope you've learned something. I hope you feel enlightened. I hope you feel lighter than you did before you entered. Subscribe and leave us a review. Tell us what you liked. Subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. Tell us who you'd want to see. This is Denise Wood saying, see you next time. <laughs>